Can I encourage you please to take a Bible? If you don't have your own, there should be one on the seat in front of you. And turn with me this morning to Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 1184, 1184 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. And we're continuing our series in Colossians. So we've got this week, and then I think John is finishing it the week after. And then we're going to look at Philemon, which is a letter which is associated with Colossians. So we'll do that the the following. But this morning, we're in Colossians chapter 3. And if you remember from last week, this is now into the, the practical part of the letter. Paul is speaking to the Christians, telling them what they should be doing in light of the gospel. So we're going to read from verses 18 in chapter 3 down to verse 1 of chapter 4. Let's remember this morning that this is God's word. We're actually going to read from verse 17. So, Verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, Obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray and ask the Lord this morning to speak to us through this part of the Bible. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that all scripture has been given by you. And that all scripture is useful to us. And so, Lord, we would ask now that as we look at these verses in Colossians, that you would speak to us. If there is one particular thing you would have us hear this morning, would you put that deep in our heart? And Lord, would these verses make an impact on our lives? We pray this in his name. Amen. I really love the idea of having a sign at the front of my house, right at the front door as I leave. And I love the idea of having a sign there with some sort of motivational words on them. You know words that you can read as you leave the house and think, yes, today I'm going to let that inspire me and encourage me. I love the idea of having this in my hall. But one of the tricky parts is, is trying to think through what are the best words to put up? I mean, what motivational words should be up there? I came across a few this week that I liked. I liked the one that said, you are unique just like everybody else. (laughs) I like the one that said, always give 100% unless you're donating blood. And then my my favorite one, uh, I really do like this one. (laughs) It said, be happy. It makes everyone mad. (laughs) 
Uh, I do actually like the idea of having some motivational words at my front hall, but, but what words should be there? Well, this week, I actually found words that I would actually like hung up in my hallway. And the words that I think would be appropriate in your home as well as mine, and these words are found in Colossians 3, verse 17. Have a look at these wonderful words, these motivational words, these encouraging words from the Apostle Paul to us. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What inspirational, what motivational words are these? Whatever you do today, as you leave your house, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. One of the most wonderful things about being a Christian is that we have now inherited eternal life. It's amazing, isn't it? Whenever we die, we are going to be with the Lord forever. But one of the problems with eternal life is that we get really focused on it as Christians. That sometimes I think we forget about the exciting thing that God calls us to do now. Sometimes I worry that as Christians we focus so much on the excitement of eternal life that we forget about the exciting thing that God calls us to do now. And the exciting thing he calls us to do now is wrapped up in this one verse. He calls us to live our lives for Jesus. That's what this verse is getting at. This verse is calling us to live our lives for Jesus. Last week, Paul encouraged us to become more like Jesus, to throw off sin and to put on Christ's likeness. But this week, Paul is encouraging us to live our lives for Jesus. That's what this verse is all about. Let me break it up for you so that you can see that. The first part of the verse, it says, whatever you do, okay? Now, that is a blanket term. The verse is saying, whatever you do in your life, you see whenever you go out the front door, you see whatever you go out there to do, whatever you do, I want you to do it in the name of Jesus. What are some of the things you you leave your front door to do? Let me tell you some things I leave to do. I leave to go to work, to come down to the church, I leave to go to exercise, not enough. (laughs) I leave my front door to go to the shops. I feel like I'm in Tesco's every day. I feel I give them most of my wages. I leave my house to meet friends. I leave my house to give people lifts. I leave my house to walk the dog. I leave my house to do someone a favor. I, I leave my house to meet friends for coffee. I leave my house to attend appointments. Some of you, you leave your house to go to university, to go to school. Some of you, you leave the house to go to the doctors. But every day of life, we leave our homes to do all sorts of things. And Paul says, listen, you see, whatever you do, whatever you're walking out of your front door to do, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to do everything in the name of Jesus Christ? Well, let's have a moment to think about what does it mean to do someone in someone else's name? Some of you here this morning, you'll have bought a house. Some of you this morning might be considering buying a house. Well, if you buy a house, that's what the estate agent does. He does things in your name. He represents you to the person selling the house. 
And he acts on your behalf. He, he puts the bids forward in your name. Basically, to do something in someone else's name, it's to represent them and to act on their behalf. Let me say that again. To do something in someone else's name is to represent them and to act on their behalf. Can you see what we are called to do as Christians? Can you see what we're called to do when we leave our front door any morning of life? We're called to represent Jesus to those we meet. We're called to act on his behalf in the places that we go. That's what this means. We're called to live for Jesus, to represent him and act on his behalf wherever we go and in whatever we do. I want you to imagine that we actually did this. Can you imagine how exciting it would be to live this way? Can you imagine the amazing impact it would have in the world around us, in our little world, if we actually lived for Jesus in every day of life? Think about it for a moment. Paul says, in your words and in your deeds, you're to do them in the deeds. Think about your words for a minute. Think about the things that you say. I want you to imagine for a moment that everywhere you go and in everything you do, you say the words that Jesus would say. Imagine that. Imagine that whenever you went out, you spoke to people words of comfort and you spoke to people words of encouragement. Imagine whenever you went to meet people, you, you spoke words that built others up and didn't tear them down. Imagine when you spent time with people, you lovingly challenged them or you lovingly rebuked them. Imagine when you met with people, instead of talking about yourself all the time, you asked them questions to find out how they're doing. Imagine you spoke words that brought peace between people, that reconciled relationships. Imagine you spoke words that gave people strength. Imagine you spoke words that, that were truthful, even if difficult. Imagine you spoke words that were kind. Imagine you spoke words in the way Jesus did. Words that give life to those you meet. Imagine what a difference that would make. Imagine what a, an exciting life that would be. Imagine we, we did that in our offices, with our university friends. Imagine we were those who spoke the words that Jesus would speak. Exciting, exciting. Or what about if we did the things that Jesus did? You see, Paul doesn't just say with our words, he also says with our deeds, with our actions, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all for Jesus, do it in his name, do it to represent him and to act on his behalf. Imagine our actions were those like Jesus' actions wherever we went. Actions that give practical help not just empty words. Actions that showed compassion and care. Actions that were brave, who stood up for, for those who are weak and vulnerable. Actions that are selfless and costly. 
actions that are done for the good of other people and not for yourself. Or to sum it all up, imagine that we lived our lives every single day doing actions that were loving. Imagine the, the, the transformation around us. Imagine what a, an exciting life that would be. Not just to speak the words that Jesus would speak, but to act in the way that Jesus would act. Imagine going to work, not just to work hard, but to act the way that Jesus would act. Imagine going to school or to university, not just to study hard and learn, but to do the type of things that Jesus would do. Imagine going to a party, not just to have fun and enjoy yourself and relax, but to bring something of the words and the actions of Jesus into that place. Imagine the impact. Imagine the excitement. Imagine the difference it would make in the world around us. Folks, it is amazing that we have eternal life. It really is amazing. But we're called to so much more than that. We're called in the here and in the now to live for Jesus and to make a difference in the world around us. Whenever we leave the house, whenever we walk out the front door, imagine we had those words ready for us to see every day. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Today, I want to encourage you as, you as you leave later on to let those words hang in your mind. I want to encourage you tomorrow morning, whenever you go out to do whatever you're doing, to let those words hang over your mind. Today, tomorrow, every day, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's something else though, I actually like about the thought of having words at my front door. <laughs> and this is where it gets quite challenging. You see, if I have words at my front door, I'm going to see them whenever I go out for the day. And it's going to encourage me and it's going to inspire me and it's going to motivate me. But you see those same words. I'm actually going to see them whenever I come in from the day. You see, whenever I come into my house, Whenever I open the door to come in to where my family are, I am also going to see those words as I come into my home. And that's actually really important. Because you see those words, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not just words for out there. They're also words that we're to take on board when we're at home. And that's why in verse 18, Paul moves from giving this blanket statement, he moves from, from just living all of life for Jesus to specifically looking inside the Christian home. In verse 18, he, he starts to talk about husbands and wives and parents and children and slaves and masters. Now, there's a whole other sermon on slaves and masters that we can't do this morning, but basically those people lived in a Roman household. And what Paul is trying to get at is that as Christians, it's not just about living for Jesus out there. It's about living for Jesus in our homes. We're to live for Christ when the door is closed. 
and we're just with our family. I'm going to go into some of the details of these verses. But before I do, there's just one question that I want to ask each of you this morning. And it's this. Is your home a place where Jesus makes a difference? Is your home a place where Jesus makes a difference? Does Jesus have a say in how you treat your wife or your husband? Does Jesus have a say in how you treat your children or your parents? I'm going to go into some of the details here, but, but in some senses, there is a, a deeper question. And that question is, Jesus welcome in your home? In Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, here are some words from Jesus. He says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Folks, this morning I want to encourage you, if, if your answer to the question is Jesus in your home is, is no, this morning I want you to open up the door to Jesus Christ, to let him come into your home life, to let him shape how you treat your husband and wife and to let him shape how you do your parenting and to let him shape your whole life at home. You see, the wonderful thing is that whenever we let Jesus in, he transforms things. He makes them better. He improves marriages. He improves parent and child relationships. He loves to transform homes. This morning, will you let him in? Now, what does that look like? Well, Paul goes on to give us a little bit of a little glimpse of what it might look like in the home. He's not being comprehensive here, but he is going to give us some idea of what it will look like to let Jesus have a say in your home life. And we see this with, with parenting and also with a husband and wife relationship in verses 18 to 21. Let's have a look at these verses. And what I want to ask you to do is one thing, don't dismiss them before we've explored them, okay? Don't dismiss these before we've explored them. Let's look at verses 18 to 21 together. Looking at the home, how to live for Christ in home, here are some things to do. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, before we get into the, the details, there is just one historical thing that you do really need to know before we look at these. And the historical thing that you need to know is that every single house in the Roman Empire lived under a code like this. In the Roman Empire, every house followed what was called a household code. So this idea of talking about husbands and wives, it's not a new thing. In fact, what Paul is doing is he's kind of copying something that already exists. But what else you need to know is that Paul is, is doing something radically different with the household code. He's bringing Christ into it. You see, in the Roman world, the, the, the boss of the house was the man. 
and everyone else in that household, they were pretty much seen as property. In the Roman world, a wife was property more than a person. Children were property more than people. Slaves were property more than people. And all of the Roman codes, do know what they encouraged the men to do? They encouraged them to be dominant. They encouraged the men to be controlling. All the household codes, they only addressed the man of the house. They didn't talk about the wives to the wives. They didn't mention what children are to do. They simply spoke to the man and the message was very clear. You must be in control of your house. You should dominate everyone in it. And you should rule with an iron fist. That was the message of the Roman Empire to the men in the house. But what Paul does here, he does something totally different. The first thing he does is he recognizes that everyone in the home matters. Wives and husbands and children and slaves. He he recognizes that everyone matters. Because everyone is made in God's image. And then we're going to see that, that, that he gives a very different message to the message of Rome. The first thing Paul does is he, he talks to wives. And that is radical in and of itself. Wives were not addressed by any of the other household codes. And look at what he says to wives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Do you know what the other code said? They said, men, you must make sure your wives obey you in everything. The Roman household codes, it was all about the men getting their way and having their wives do whatever they called them to do. It was about obedience. But Paul here says something actually very different. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now that word submit, it gets a bad press. I don't know what you think of when I think of submit. I think of UFC fighting. (laughs) And I think of some poor guy on the ground about to have his arm broken. And he he sort of taps the mat. I I give up, I give in. I'm done. This idea of being forced to do something. That's what we think of when we think of the word submit. But, But the Greek word is actually something totally different. The word submit in the Greek, it's to, it's to willingly put yourself under someone's leadership. It's not to say that you're inferior to them. It's not to do something kicking and screaming because you've been made afraid. It's to willingly place yourself under someone's leadership. To submit is to, to willingly follow someone's lead. Do you know someone who did this? Jesus. Jesus is God the Son, completely equal to God the Father in every way. And yet what did Jesus do? He he submitted to the Father's will. He willingly placed himself under the Father when he came to earth and did the Father's will. And so wives here, they're, they're called not to to, to obey. They're not called to, to, to kind of fight against their husbands. What they're called to do is willingly let him lead, to put themselves under his leadership. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're a wife 
And, and you're kind of wondering, okay, Marty, I see it saying that. I, I understand the principle of trying to encourage my husband to lead. I understand the principle of, of trying to, to willingly work alongside him and, and encourage his leadership. But Marty, what, what exactly does this mean for me? Well, what I want to do is I want to let you know what it doesn't mean. And this is really important. So if you're a wife, this is what it doesn't mean. And, and to help me tell you what it doesn't mean, I'm calling on my friend John Piper. John Piper is a pastor in America. He is a far better and more gifted Bible teacher than I am. And he very helpfully points out from the Bible what submission is not. So here's what it not. It doesn't mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Submission is not agreeing with everything your husband says. God has given you your own brains and your own minds. And submission is not saying, well, listen, I just agree with you because you said that. That's what it isn't. It's not agreeing with everything. It also doesn't mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar, he says. It's not letting your husband think for you. It's not letting your husband dictate what you do. It's not that. It's also not avoiding every effort to change a husband. It's not just kind of coming to the point where you go, do you know what, my husband's the leader and he's a terrible leader, but I'm just going to let him get on with that. And no, it's trying to encourage him as well. It doesn't mean not trying to change him. That's not what submission is. It's not letting him lead you badly. Submission also does not mean putting the will of your husband before the will of Christ. And this is really, really important. Wives, if your husband is trying to lead you in a direction that is not godly, if your husband is trying to lead your family in a direction that is not godly or good or something that the Lord would affirm, submission is, is, it doesn't mean going along with that. And finally, submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. If you're finding yourself submitting because you're afraid, that is, that's not what biblical submission is. Submission is following someone's lead willingly because you want to, because you know they're leading you well. John Piper goes on and, and he, he explains really well what it is and it's quite a long quote, but I'll read it for you and if you follow along, he says this. Submission, it is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It's an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish when you're passive and I have to make sure the family works. Do you see it there? It's encouraging a husband to lead and to take responsibility. That's what it means to submit. It's to encourage good and loving and godly leadership in the home from the husband. And then there's the flip side to it. The next quote says this, but the attitude of Christian submission also says, it grieves me when you venture into sinful acts and want to take me with you. You know I can't do that. I have no desire to resist you. On the contrary, I flourish when I can respond creatively and joyfully to your lead, but I, won't, but I can't follow you into sin as much as I love you to honor your leadership in our marriage. Christ is my king. So submission, it's, it's encouraging the husband to lead. It's willingly coming under his leadership, but never at the expense of following Christ. 
That's a hard passage, a hard thing for me to preach as a man to woman. Um, I, I hope it's, it's, it's in some way helpful though. What I do want to say though before I go on is that that, that verse has been misunderstood. It's been misunderstood by men throughout the generations and it's been misunderstood by women throughout the generations. And because it has been misunderstood, it has been abused and misused. Some men have used that verse to abuse their wives. They've used it to carry out emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, coercive control. Some men have have hung that verse over their wives and said, you need to do what I say because that's what the Bible says. That is an abhorrent misuse of that verse. And that is completely unacceptable in any home, but never mind a Christian home. Men, do not misuse this verse ever. This verse is not for you. It is for your wife to think about. It's not for you to dangle over her as a threat. And can I just say, if you're a wife here this morning, the sad thing is that this verse has been taken on board by some women and they have put up with abuse because of this verse. I want to say to you this morning, if you're a wife, you're not to tolerate abuse in your home. You're not to tolerate being abused. Abuse is a sin and abuse is a crime and you should not tolerate it in your home ever. Don't misuse this verse. Do not abuse this verse. You see, on the contrary, what the Bible, what Paul, what the Lord Jesus calls us as husbands to do is not to control our wives. It's not to dominate our wives. It's certainly not to abuse our wives. No, what Jesus calls us to do is to love our wives. That's what husbands are called to do. We're called to love our wives. And again, you see this really clearly in our passage. Have a look at verse nine with me. Husbands, Paul says, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, this was radical at the time. Husbands didn't feel any obligation to love their wives. Husbands were told to control their wives and dominate their wives. But the Lord through Paul says, husbands, you are to love your wives. And you see in Ephesians chapter 5, he sets the bar really high on the type of love that we as husbands are supposed to have for our wives. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives, check this out, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, how are you doing at loving your wives? How are you going this morning at that? If I was to ask your wife this morning, (laughs) how's your husband doing at loving you? (laughs) How would they respond? Husbands, we're called to love our wives. We're called to love them in, in the way that Jesus loves us. 
Men, is your love for your wife sacrificial? Because we're called to love our wives with a, a sacrificial love if we're called to love them the way that Jesus loved the church. Is your love this morning a serving love for your wife? Do you do, you do things to serve her like Jesus did for us? Husbands, do you do things to, to give attention to your wife? Is your love an attentive love? Do you stop and do you listen to her and do you, do you give her your undivided attention? Or does that stupid phone get in the way all the time? Husbands, is your love for your wife a caring love? Do you care for her? Do you look after her? Does she feel cherished by you? Men, Jesus loved the church in, in the most incredible way. And that's the way that we're called to love our wives. Now listen, <laughs> we're not Jesus and we're flawed and we're messed up. And our love for our wives, it will only be a shadow of Christ's love for us. But it's what we should be aiming for, husbands. That's how we reflect Christ in our marriage. That's how we show Christ in our home. We aim to love our lives in a Christ-like way. Now, if you're married this morning, I want you to imagine that, that, that those two things go together. If you're a wife this morning called to submit to your husband and you're a husband called to, to love your wife, I want you to imagine that those things actually do function in your house and they function well. Imagine that. Imagine a marriage like that. Imagine being a wife and feeling utterly loved and utterly cherished and utterly cared for. Imagine being a wife this morning knowing that your husband is only after your good. Imagine that this morning. That would be great, wouldn't it? You could submit to someone like that, couldn't you? You could get on board with someone leading your home like that. Husbands, if we love our wives and, and wives, if we submit to loving husbands, imagine the transformation of your home life. I heard two little sayings that I love. Happy wife, happy life. Happy spouse, happy house. And I think, men, if we could love our wives well, and I think, women, if we could follow a loving leader in our homes, I think we would have happy wives and happy husbands and happy houses. Finally, though, Paul addresses children and he addresses parents in the home. I'm not going to focus too much on the children because we don't have a whole lot of them in here this morning. But if you are a young person and you're living at home and you're under your parents' roof, here's a way that Jesus calls you to live. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Obedience of children, it, it seems like an old-fashioned thing for some reason in our society. I don't know why that is. I don't know why today we, we don't encourage children to obey or we don't make a big deal of it, but we are. We're called as Christian parents to encourage our children to obey. But this morning, if you're a Christian child, if you're a young person and you're living at home, you're called to obey your parents. They love you. They, they care for you. They've been given this God-given job of looking out for you and looking after you. And so you're called to obey them. And the reason is it because your parents are brilliant 
The reason isn't because your parents have got it all together and they know what they're doing. The reason is because look at the passage, verse 20, for this pleases the Lord. Christian young people, you're called to obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. I want to finish though this morning by looking at what it says to parents. And I think if you're a parent this morning, this is probably the second most important instruction given to parents in the Bible. The first instruction that is the most important, I think, is to bring up your children in the teaching and the admonition of the Lord, to to teach your children about Christ and God and His ways. I think that is the, the most important command given to parents in the Bible. But I think this, I think this is the second most important one given. This is vitally important that if you're a parent or if you're ever going to be a parent, it's so important that you get this this morning. Look with me at verse 21. Paul says, fathers, but it could be addressed to fathers and mothers. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Do not embitter your children because if you do, he says, they will become discouraged. This morning, if you're a parent, I just want to flag up a few ways that that you might embitter your children and discourage them. I want to flag up a few things that you might do that might discourage them in their faith and discourage them in their relationship with you. Let me flag up 10 very, very quickly. I know that sounds really like a lot. It's not. We're going to fly through them. The first thing that you can do to discourage and embitter your children is to bully them. You're bigger and you're stronger than them. And if you bully them, if you stamp your authority down, if you bully them, you will embitter them. That could be through harsh and intimidating words. It could be through actions that frighten them. But if you bully your children, you will discourage them and embitter them. Another sure far way to embitter them is to show favoritism. If you've got more than one child at home and you favoritism, it will embitter them. It will embitter the other one. Hypocrisy, that is another great way to embitter your children. Otis, be so kind and so generous and so happy when you're out of the house. Oh, to act like the the upstanding Christian when you're in church. But then to close the door and to be a hypocrite. To not be what you are in the home, what you are outside it, that will certainly embitter your children. Then there's inconsistency. Something's okay on Tuesday, something you let your child do on a Tuesday and they're happy and and you're okay about it, but then on Thursday you fly off the handle at them about it. To be inconsistent in your discipline or inconsistent in your rules will lead to bitterness. Then there's excessive or unreasonable discipline. Folks, I want you to know this morning that children do all sorts of stuff that's wrong. (laughs) But I want you to remember that some stuff is way worse than other things. There are some things your children do and they shouldn't really be disciplined at all about them. They're minor, they're not important, they're petty, they're not sinful. But if you're harsh, if you discipline in an unreasonable way, if you punish absolutely everything and discipline them for absolutely everything in exactly the same way, they'll become bitter. Harsh 
excessive or unreasonable discipline will make them bitter. And it will certainly make them bitter if you discipline our divine anger. When we discipline our children, it's meant to be for their good so that they can learn, so that they can grow, so that they can understand right from wrong. It's never because we're offended and annoyed at what they've done. If we discipline out of anger, if we ever get out of control when it comes to disciplining our children, losing our temper with them, shouting at them in an aggressive way, if we discipline them out of anger, it will lead to them being bitter. If we bring in all sorts of petty rules, every house needs rules. We all need rules to function. Every house has rules. But I wonder this morning, have you got some very petty ones? Rules which are nothing about sin or right and wrong. Rules that are simply to suit you as a mum or dad. Petty rules will embitter your children. So will humiliation. If you humiliate your child in front of other people, even if you humiliate them when no one else is there, they'll become bitter towards you and bitter towards God. Another sure far away is to never admit you're wrong. Listen, we all get it wrong. <laughs> Mums and dads, we all get it wrong. We all get it wrong sometimes. There's only one perfect parent and that's our heavenly father, no one else. But you see, if we never admit to that to our children, you see, if we never apologize and say we got it wrong, if we just act like it's all okay, that will embitter them. And number 10, if we overprotect them and smother them and never let them go and enjoy things, if we never give them freedom, if we're always on top of them, always on their case, soon they will become embittered. If you're a parent here this morning, let Jesus come in to your parenting. Parent in a way that represents him and speaks and does his words. This morning, if you've got grown-up children, maybe you've got grown-up children here this morning and you sense that they are embittered against you. Maybe you've got grown-up children this morning and, and, and you, you just know that something's not right. Maybe even as you look at this list, you think, Do you know what, maybe I've embittered my children. What I want to encourage you to do is to, to have a conversation with them. If your relationship is broken with them, have that conversation and say, listen, if I've done something, I'm sorry. Can, can we get things sorted? I realize the last two parts of this talk may be applicable to, to, to some of you and, and some not. So I just want to finish by, by reminding you of that one verse. Have it hanging over your mind as you leave today. Have it hanging over your mind as you go out tomorrow. Have it hanging over your mind as you go into your house. Put it at the front door if you need to. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have called us to live our lives for you. And that is so exciting and it's so thrilling and we know that it would make a massive difference in the world around us. Lord Jesus, excite us about living for you. Equip us to live for you and enable us to live for you every day of our lives. And Lord, as we speak your words and, and do the things that you call us to do, 
may you be glorified and others built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.